looking to your platform more from a strategic perspective. I want to build a digital platform rather than an e-commerce or a transactional uh, platform. So if you look into this ambition, then you understand that e-commerce engine, for example, is one of the capabilities that you need, but you need other capabilities. For example, in order to engage your customers, you need the Martech stack, and then on Martech stack, you have other several products. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. Architecture is a bureaucratic term. At least that's what business users might feel, as it comes across as more of an IT boilerplate. And business users are not off as most technical and IT professional end up using too much IT and technical boilerplate with architecture that it might not make any sense to the business users. However, having a good architecture is like having a plan for your journey. No plan means a lot of wandering around and taking too much time to get to a destination. So regardless of your preferences for the architecture, it's not optional. In today's episode, our guest Indrit Salemi discusses the importance of architecture in designing commerce solutions. He also discusses while architecture may be perceived as more of a technical term, but having an architecture is critical regardless of the term you use. Finally, he discusses the difference between several different commerce solutions in the market and their differences such as headless, monolith, and suite-centric commerce solutions. Let me introduce Indrit to you. Indrit has and extended experience in several industry sectors, including fashion and luxury, retail, multimedia, insurance, FMCG, telco, etc. His expertise and interests are mainly focused on solution architecture and digital transformation. His experience is well-grounded in both functional and technical aspects, and he has led very large and complex projects for well-known global clients. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, hey, Indrit. Welcome. To the show. I am very happy to, to be with you today. Yeah, and I am super excited as well, to be honest, because um, as we all know, the composable is a very interesting space in general. And um, you are going to have the real depth in terms of architecture. And personally, me, I enjoy real depth when we are talking about understanding of these concepts. So this is going to be super fun for me. Absolutely, not so uh, for me. <laughs> I hope to, to to be up to the, your expectations. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you are going to crush this, okay? Uh, just to kick things off, listeners might not know you. Do you want to start with your quick intro and what you are focusing yeah, on sure. these days? Yeah, so um, I'm a um, solution architect. I work for Accenture Song. Um, um, we are... Um, we built uh, experiences, uh, customer experiences, uh, consumer, uh, employee as well. Uh, although uh, I'm a social architect, although today um, 
uh, my opinions uh, and the, the opinions that I will share are my own and so should not be interpreted as representing the views of my em <laughs> employer. So I will talk for my experience and for myself, not yeah. uh, not share the views of my employer. Um, my, my job is solution activator. I started as, um, developing. I have developed like for 12 years and then I think now I have 19 years of experience in which 17 on the commerce transactional uh, part. The late last years, I have also um, expanded my knowledge on the MarTech. And um, to be honest, I worked on the ent enterprise architecture level, although I try not to call it enterprise architecture because I don't want to. Uh, maybe sometimes it's confused with some bureaucratic stuff, maybe in some months so I'm very operative. And uh, recently, uh, I also um, follow, let's say, clients from a uh, strategic architecture perspective. So how to move strategically in the market, how to build architecture, e-commerce, end-to-end, uh, um, -end, uh, yeah, uh, um, including marketplace. Yeah, so very interesting. And there are a lot of different layers that I want to peel. Obviously, there are some very interesting concepts that you have mentioned, and it will be beneficial for our listeners to know what those are. Before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest in this. And that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I usually think in very uh, direct terms. So for me, uh, business growth today means uh, reaching your customers in uh, uh, more and more channels, uh, expanding your business, um, providing a consistent experience in all those channels all together, right? And maybe also combining the experience on those channels. So reaching uh, uh, your customers in the right moment, in the right time. Mm -hmm. And hence, um, growing, for example, in this way. This is one, another, uh, ways you can expand your business globally, uh, through regions and uh, different markets and so on and so forth. And you need to be able to uh, know the specificities of those uh, markets. And you need to be able also to, uh, expand or make sure that your, uh, you know, digital platform is, uh, is able to serve also these other new markets, other regions. Okay. So very interesting perspective. I really like the way you have sort of laid this out and I'm going to connect some dots overall. Okay. So number sure, one absolutely. point that I really want to touch on is I know you mentioned many different architecture and you had a little reservation there in terms of using the word enterprise architecture. Um, you know, I used to be equally conservative in using that because I personally felt that that was slightly more technical perspective when we speak in front of business. I mean, they don't necessarily care as much for the enterprise architecture, the technical community. If you're really building any sort of technical platforms, obviously, you need to have the enterprise architecture down. Otherwise, it's not going to work. We all know this, how this goes, now, regardless of whether, Absolutely. you know, business cares for it or not. I mean, you need to get it right. Um, but lately, I have been hearing even business using enterprise architecture word. So I don't know if they have sort of they are more educated now in terms of how to execute the IT projects. But I have seen supply chain executives. I've seen marketing executives using the term enterprise architecture, maybe because of complexity. I don't know uh, if you are hearing the same thing in your space when you are talk to, 
when you talk to your customers? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think in general, to be honest, I have uh, heard architecture in general. So I uh, uh, my impression is that uh, the relevance of architecture is well understood. So even if you are operating digital from a business perspective, yeah. Architecture is a keyword that is recognized, right? Yeah. So it is uh, important. I believe that in the last years, um, there have been some terminology that is moving, uh, has moved from technical perspective to the business. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if this is, has been correct or not, because sometimes it also confuses, but I have noticed that some of the concepts that, uh, we uh, use on the technical, let's say, uh, on our technical IT part, now yeah. has also uh, impermeated the, the, the business as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I see this as a overall good uh, um, good result because, I mean, we need to work as a, this is my perspective, personal perspective. Uh, I think that the best teams with the best outcomes are teams that communicate very closely between business and the, and and the technical people. So to me, it makes perfect sense uh, that you, you have also uh, business people understanding uh, a little bit of uh, architecture concept. Yeah, so I'll add some more context here. Uh, the customers that you are dealing with obviously are going to be slightly larger. They are going to be slightly more mature uh, overall in terms of digital maturity, okay? Um, when you look at their sort of experience, okay, um, you are looking at very mature IT teams. You are probably looking at business folks that have probably gone through multiple implementations. So they sort of know how to execute these projects and they are probably going to understand the value of architecture. Because typically, in my experience, and again, you can tell me if you are seeing anything different with the customers and um the industries that you deal with. But in my experience, when anybody starts in their digital maturity first time, it's probably not going to be very successful. Okay, <laughs> Then it takes a while because initially you are not going to appreciate. In fact, initially you had mentioned the solution architecture word, right? If I look at my average SMB, to be honest, and right, okay, they don't necessarily understand what architecture is for them. They have just the IT guy. Uh, you know, they have... <laughs> So <laughs> IT guy is probably doing everything. They don't really differentiate between a developer uh, and a solution architect uh, versus, you know, CIO level expertise. So let's say if you were the SMB and let's say, <laughs> obviously they are going to be super limited in, in, in terms of budget, right? So how would you approach this um, if you are consulting with them? Yeah, so absolutely. I think... In that kind of context, I really strive for simplicity. Yeah. So uh, maybe uh, understanding key business goals and then uh, really uh, try to create an architecture or find out a solution in the market that is matching uh, those key business uh, goals while uh, really looking to the simplicity. Uh, simplicity of the solution, but also how to operate it. Right? So easiness of operating as well. So in that case, maybe um, even, you know, that there is a lot of uh, nowadays this um, uh, diatribe between monolith and versus that and versus whatever, composable, whatever. Uh, but in my view, every uh, uh, paradigm has its own uh, context. And for example, 
on contexts that they need to have this kind of simplicity, very fast time to market without doing too much build and configuration by themselves, uh, a sweet uh, solution would be perfectly okay, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily we need to always uh, strive for complex solution and uh, sophisticated things if those are not really needed. Yeah, so very interesting perspective there. So I'm going to touch a little bit more on simplicity, okay? So simplicity is great, right? But I mean, if you look at the state of average SMB, they probably are more complex than enterprises, to be honest, okay? And the reason for that is because their processes are going to be all over the place. Their data is not sort of streamlined. They are kind of still trying to figure out their product market fit. So their product itself is going to be millions of products. I mean, they are trying to sell whatever they can, I guess, in their power. Uh, you know, and, and it takes a while to understand the product market fit that, okay, where you have the predictable revenue, what you really want to carry, and how do you sort of structure your data information model as well as sort of the business model um, so that you can build an architecture on top of that, right? So yes, you want simplicity because your expertise is not there. Your budget is not there. But from the business perspective, you are far more complex. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you see that in your experience. Yeah, I mean, um, the, uh, usually I work maybe, as you said, maybe with um, customers that are a little bit more selected, so more yeah. on, on enterprise rather than SMBs, to be honest. Although I have had the opportunity to work also with smaller uh, customers. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, will be a sort of trade-off, right? So yeah. uh, you need to prioritize. Uh, you cannot, maybe if, they are, if you are that small, then uh, you have still a lot of ambitions, but uh, the budget is limited and uh, the knowledge is, and maybe you have also difficulty to, I think also to accumulate talent, right? So to, uh, I, I believe that some SMB segments as well to some, issues to find talents in the market because they are not known maybe as other big brands. And this is another, I think, uh, uh, challenging problem that I've seen in SMB. So even finding um, talents in the market. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think for them would be a trade-off. They need to prioritize very uh, closely their yeah. uh, um, you know, uh, goals and then act upon that maybe. Uh, going step by step. Okay, could not agree more. But now let's go back to your comment. I mean, when you mentioned about, um, you know, business growth, you were talking about, you know, what more channels, globalization. Okay, that also means complexity, right? So how would you balance this when you are, let's say, a small business and uh, you are trying to balance both of these things where you need to be simple from the architecture perspective because your budget is limited, but at the same time, you are sort of hungry. You are trying to attack as many markets as you can in your power to be able to grow. So how do you balance this? It's uh, so a good question. Yeah. So from the architecture perspective, I would say that one way that maybe you can balance those two uh, conflicting needs, you could choose a technology that allows you quickly maybe to connect different services, for example, different payment gateways, yeah. uh, different local systems. I'm under impression that this way of doing things fast will lead to accumulating cash debt, right? So you can go fast, but then you are going to accumulate a bit of cash debt like this, like you, you are going on credit. 
Yeah. And I think this is uh, one of the challenging, um, challenging, uh, elements to, to take into account. So you'll go maybe fast. You'll, you'll try to, uh, prioritize your business growth, but then, uh, for sure in this process, you won't have maybe the structure. You won't may, maybe have the, uh, uh, the time in order to, uh, um, grow your system uh, correctly. So I would say that most probably you will accumulate taste that. So you need to take that, uh, uh take, take that under control. That will be the challenge with time. Yeah, That's very interesting, very interesting perspective. So let's go back to the conversation about this whole monolith versus composable versus headless versus so many different terms that nobody really understand what they really mean. Okay. <laughs> But obviously they have a lot of power behind that. And then you need to have a little expertise under your belt to be able to execute. So I don't know. I mean, maybe describe these different architectures. You know, what is the value that they are trying to bring? Um, and at what stage companies should go for something like this? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I have tried to, uh, plot into my mind the logical e-commerce uh, architecture journey, right? So how, it. because my, que my question was how we arrived at composability and why all this discussion, right? So, um, if you remember maybe years ago now, We had some, uh, big, uh, monoliths, right? Yeah. Uh, I think they were, they were called even then suites. And, uh, I'll still call them suites because those, um, in my view, the suites that we had 10 years ago are much different from the suites that we have today. Suites are assembled. Um, so that's why I'm not very much on this monolithic versus whatever uh, worse because I don't uh, I don't see necessarily anything wrong with the monolith right um, even from the software design perspective there is no issue at all with uh, with the monolith and you should go with another paradigm like I don't know uh, whatever uh, composability via microservices but all, even uh, through package business capabilities if you need that if you don't you shouldn't again you should balance trade-offs so anyway in my um, logically plotting those stages that we uh, went uh, with e-commerce architectures i think we started with old style retail code like which was everything was coupled together and I think that the, the, from sales and commercial perspective, more features you had in and better was this product. And so these products accumulated a lot of hundreds of features. And then what happened is simplifying a little bit. What happened is that we had uh, mobile devices coming to the picture, a lot of push to have mobile first and so on. And the, these old uh, products were copying a little bit, not, not so, mm, match with these uh, different heads. So we have maybe the headless approaches coming in. I remember uh, already in 2014, uh, when I joined, for example, Accenture, they were already doing um, headless commerce, although uh, it was not as above uh, as, uh, as it is today. And then uh, once we went uh, multi-device, or so we went mobile, or we had multi-head, Then there was a sort of explosion of demand in the market. Um, a lot of uh, the digital was exploding. So uh, we entered in a new way of you need to, to, to make to do business online very fast. It would be very fast. And then 
I think we entered in the um, uh, what I call uh, composability through package uh, package business capabilities as from Gartner definition. Once we entered the composability, of course, the complexity went up, but then again, we were much more faster in experimenting and uh, following new business initiatives. And then uh, what happened in general in the market is that uh, DevOps entered in the picture, uh, new um, uh, cloud paradigms, new paradigm, microservices entered in the picture. So now uh, we entered uh, in the new innovation even more uh, uh, stage, I would, say, I would say, composability through microservices or composability through Mac, if you want. Again, from my perspective, it was a matter of uh, granularity. So granularity of the um, uh, composability uh, increased. And uh, the gain was that now these the features, functional features were matching also team organization. So you could build, you could have now different teams uh, building different features, maybe end-to-end and to have those teams independent from each other. I think this is more or less the uh, architecture journey that we uh, we have been through, at least from my perspective, simplifying it, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very interesting commentary there. And uh, my audience in general is going to be more of, uh, you know, CFOs, the COOs. In general, they are not going to have as much technical background. So even though you sort of describe what is a monolith, and I don't know if marketers these days, they understand technology a little bit better. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too sure about that. I, I highly doubt Okay, if they truly understand the difference between these different architectural patterns, obviously, there is some value, right? That's why they exist. But let's say if you were to describe what a monolith really is, and why do we need composability? Okay, why do microservices exist to begin with? You are breaking it down for your grandma. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I would uh, provide you my uh, personal perspective. Um, uh, I see it uh, from control perspective. If I'm an organization, I would like to have a control on building uh, my uh, customer experience, right? So uh, my business process flows. And if I go with a monolith, it means that that product needs to contain all uh, the characteristics that I need and the business process flow that I need. If not, then uh, I would have some issues there. I will have some gaps. If otherwise I need, I have, I, I am, I would like to have my own, uh, maybe business specific processes or flows. If I go with a, a sort what is what we call composable solution, yeah, then most probably I, I would have more control on building this experience because I can combine different solutions and combining different solutions, I can realize um, better or I could also match better my specific business processes. This is done. Um, that being said, again, uh, maybe the monolith is the wrong term because nowadays. I'm not sure if we are, again, the market as a whole has been, uh, has uh, evolved. So we are not really uh, working with, I think, in the market today with monoliths like 10, 10 years ago, in which, again, we were very constrained in the way that you could do and uh, could not do and so on and so forth. So today, I think I would 
not use monolith as a term, maybe sweet is a, is a better term. And uh, sweets are can even be, uh, even somehow you can look into the sweets are a combination of different products, even in their own. So um, we are not uh, really uh, moving uh, into the same, you know, the old monolithic space, I think, as uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. So, long story short, I, I look into it from the control perspective. So if I want to have complete control on customer experience, maybe uh, I would organize the solution as I want. Maybe a composable solution could fit me better. Otherwise, if I maybe I would like to delegate to the best practice because I trust a vendor and I would like to and uh, like to delegate those and I, I have checked those flows and um, a specific vendor solution matches all my needs. And there is no issue at all going with them with a monolith slash a sweet solution. So I I, uh, I look into all these paradigms with their own context of applicability, right? So there is no, for me, there is no best uh, architecture. For me, it is more like choosing the least worst architecture because, because architecture is always a trade-off between different forces. Yeah, so we are going to unpack a little bit there. So you mentioned a lot of different keywords here, and I want to make sure that the listeners are able to follow along. So control obviously is very important, but you might need to break down control a little bit in, or maybe provide an example of what kind of control are we talking about? Because for CFOs, it's probably going to be financial control, right? The customer experience is a very different control that you are trying to refer to here. Uh, the other term that you mentioned is sweet. Now, in their head, what they are thinking is sweet could mean a lot of different things from the ERP perspective. So which sweet are we talking about? And these terms are really fun, right? Because uh, <laughs> they could be all over the place in general. So, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so um, maybe I'll start with the second one. With sweet, I mean a suite of products, maybe provided by the single vendor. Right. And uh, I don't know, you have the e-commerce platform and then you have a marketing platform, um, customer service, all blended together, integrated, pre-integrated by the vendor. That perfectly makes, makes sense. And by control, I mean, uh, what I mean by control is differentiation. So if you want to differentiate, right, in base of your own business specificities and uh, maybe what is already in the market, given from a single vendor is not matching exactly your differentiation needs from a business perspective, then maybe you could build those differences. You can differentiate yourself uh, combining different solutions or maybe not only combining different solutions, but maybe you could uh, even implement by your own uh, a capability that you uh, see as a, as a differentiating for your business. This is what I mean. And by control is another, maybe IT, uh, this is a business part. Maybe the IT concept is that if you choose one single vendor, maybe again, again, there is nothing wrong with it. There are always trade-offs, but maybe you could, uh, what we say, you could lock in a little bit more on the vendor. So uh, instead, if you go with your own solution or composable solution, then you can build it in such a way that maybe you are less depending on a single vendor, right? Uh, the drawback of this approach is that you can depend on yourself more. So you, <laughs> there is also self-locking, which might be even more dangerous than uh, you say uh, having locking on the vendor. 
So again, as I said, it's always a trade-off in the architecture. There is no best architecture. It is always best matching architecture for given context. There is no best architecture in general. Yeah. So we are going to touch a little bit more on the differentiation piece. And sometimes it could be hard for companies to understand how technology is going to provide the differentiation. In general, obviously, technology is the enabler, but you're probably the way you are processing your transactions, the way your processes are structured, maybe that could provide the differentiation overall in terms of whatever KPIs that you might be trying to hit. In general, in my experience, when you look at commerce solutions, right, they do provide a little bit of differentiation because they are slightly more externally focused, whether you uh, talk more in terms of the user experience uh, you know, because the external users are using it or, um, for example, Google SEO, there are a lot of different external factors that are really controlling your differentiation as well as uh, your customer experience. So that's why this matters overall in terms of the e-commerce solutions. But in your mind, let's say whenever you look at any of the customers that you are working with, I don't know if they are trying to accomplish any specific differentiation objectives uh, when they implement these things. I mean, technology is technology, right? But how you are implementing is going to be your differentiation. So do you have any sort of examples where you have seen the real differentiation because how either it was implemented or how it was architected? Yeah, yeah by differentiation, I mean, it is matching uh, your own business goals. Um, and we discussed before about uh, channels and uh, yeah. reaching um, different markets in different regions. Uh, for example, um, there are clients that might have, um, might operate in a market that is very regulated locally. So for each, uh, each market or each region, you need really to uh, follow your local uh, laws and uh, local regulations and so on. And uh, in that case, you uh, really need to, from that perspective, differentiation is not only doing business differently, but also being able to follow uh, for your specific segment all the local uh, business models of your company and all your uh, local regulations. Um, so in that case, maybe one solution that uh, one size fits all approach might not be the, the one that could match this kind of very regulated uh, local uh, markets approach. This is might be one example. Uh, another example is that as a company, uh, you would like to provide the best experience in the in, in the market, and you would like to have a uh, maybe you have another um, competitor or more than one, and you want to uh, provide to the final uh, consumers uh, the best, uh, uh, best not only the best product but also the best experience overall in terms of uh, engagement, in terms of conversion, in terms of uh, after sales and loyalty and so on, right? And you you want to to do it better. This is another form of differentiation, right? So you are the bar now is much higher. So you cannot uh, you cannot be satisfied with uh, maybe uh, a solution that even your competitor could could purchase in the market. So you need to differentiate more. That, that's that may be an example. Yeah, very interesting. So give me some examples of 
how let's say if i have one size fits all and i don't know i mean say if we are going to name the names here right maybe we can uh, okay so maybe let's pick some of the monolith uh, platform and then talk about where they would run into challenges from the business perspective i don't know if you are so you mentioned that you know if you are attacking different markets if you are attacking different channels that may not be enough so what is that not enough where are they going to fall short overall is it going to be more in terms of conversion is it going to be more in terms of complying with the local markets uh, is it because they don't have that functionality built or what are the core drivers why it would fall short yeah, yeah i mean it really depends on the specific businesses but uh, maybe um, depending on your um, specific business object in some areas uh the uh, uh features that are provided in that area are simply not not uh, good enough or they're not matching your uh, needs um not from whatever uh, criteria might be uh, uh experience might be functionalities fundamentally you know where maybe you need a i don't know a really sophisticated pricing engine because your business have very uh complex promotion mechanics yeah. and etc or you have your loyalty programs are really sophisticated and maybe what is coming with uh, i don't know with e-commerce platform uh, that is not enough so what you need in that case is maybe you would like to go into the market and and choose the best one of the best you know other products in the market that are providing that capabilities Uh, example uh, you like to have best in breed uh, experience and then uh, you like to look into uh, um, dxps for example like adobe because adobe is one of the best in the market from the marketing perspective right your experience perspective yeah and your e-commerce built-in content management system is not at that level simply because yes it is something it has been built to support actually e-commerce engine is not the core business of a company building a, a marketing a digital experience platform like adobe is doing so you are really um, basically is 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 a matter of specialization right each vendor have its own specialization in some uh, area and then you have the ability to uh, to choose from different solution the best what is called the best of breed right the best of breed approach i'm i'm not sure if i i, I answered to you or <laughs> you definitely did i mean you it's it's uh, you know much better overall so now i mean just to hold the listeners i don't know if you're going to have any sort of stories or the examples that you might be able to share and what i'm looking in those examples as let's say if somebody moved to composable okay what were the core drivers in moving to and sometimes people are going to say you know what i'm going composable because everybody else is going which is great okay <laughs> but in my mind i'm always yeah. looking for those business drivers what were the core challenges where they were really struggling was it omni channel was it the shortcoming of specific functionality on a monolith platform that's why they had to go or is it transaction volume what were the core drivers for these businesses when they yeah. chose this yeah very uh, trivial uh, core drivers um, um sam is again not building a vertical uh, e-commerce solution yeah but looking to your platform more from a strategic perspective i want to build a digital platform rather than an e-commerce or a transactional uh, platform so if you look into uh, this ambition then you understand that e-commerce 
engine, for example, is one of the uh, capabilities that you need, but you need other capabilities. For example, in order to engage your customers, you need uh, the Martech stack, and then on Martech stack, you have other several products. And once that you convert your uh, uh, your uh, consumers, and then you uh, have them uh, interested in your product, so they are able to, uh, you know, to register maybe purchase a product. Then uh, you uh, you like to provide the, the best in class customer service, for example. And uh, we already talked about the loyalty, uh, the after sales uh, programs, and so on and so forth. So if you look at this kind of ambition, so pulling and providing an end-to-end customer journey, starting from uh, awareness, engagement, uh, you know, the, the conversion, uh, uh, e-care, uh, after sales, whatever, then automatically it is almost impossible that you can find one product that can do this all. What uh, we see in the market today is that why I asked, I, uh, I, I thought, uh, I try to avoid the term monolith because monolith has a negative, um, um, uh, it's a little bit abused, I think, for, yep. for the wrong reasons. So monolith is totally okay. But uh, um, I use the term suite because there are indeed vendors that are trying to provide different capabilities as a suite and pre-integrated. And that is perfectly, perfectly good solution given, uh, given, uh, given the different uh, companies. If, for some reason, you are not happy. Uh, you have, uh, again, uh, you are not happy. I don't know. Uh, your e-commerce engine uh, capabilities are different, or you don't like. Um, uh, I don't know the marketing platform coming with this suite, or maybe you already purchased. You have already in house another marketing platform. Then you start looking to how could we uh, create a composable, you know, uh, platform, right? This is one trivial example. In general, uh, other example is that you start with the online channel and then maybe you expand your uh, your offering. Maybe you want to uh, now transact and reach your client, uh, you reach your consumers, your customers uh, on social channels and, and other channels. Maybe uh, you have now your... Uh, online presence, your own um, portal, but then the uh, D2C portal, but then you would like to, uh, why not expanding, for example, your reach to the indirect channels? Maybe you would like to share and sell on the marketplace, and maybe you go to China, and then uh, in China, I don't know, marketplaces are much more um, um, effective channels than in Europe. So you need to, to have this kind of flexibility, and uh, usually, uh, again, as I said, if you would like to have full control, how you realize those things, how you do those things, then yes, then composability becomes a, a viable, a viable option. Again, you have its own trade-offs. Uh, there is no bad solution because with composability, usually the complexity is also higher. So you need also to be able to, uh, to, to, to manage that and to operate and the, 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 the platform. Uh, and then there are other aspects, like for example, uh, usually we focus a lot. Uh, we, so we as an, I mean, as an industry, at least all the discussion that I hear it is more on customer experience. Well, of course, customer first is very important, but also employee experience is uh, very, very relevant as well. So 
when you design the platform, especially if those uh, platforms are coming uh, from uh, the products are coming from different vendors, are not pre pre integrated, you need to to take care about your um, uh, employee experience as well, mm -hmm. from the operating perspective. That is also very important. Yeah, could not agree more. I think you know both of those uh, matters, and sometimes it's uh, obviously experience matters, but at the same time, you know the cost matters as well. Uh, you know, you need to sometimes when you improve the customer experience, uh, that may drive your cost uh, as well. And if you don't have as, as much margin uh, in your e-commerce business, sometimes that could be a tricky conversation to have in general. Correct, correct. So, so for example, that's the question indeed about the costs. Uh, have me, uh, made me think a lot about it. Especially because, again, as we said, we wanted to be really differentiated and to pick the best solution in the market and compose it and so on and so forth. But this could lead to complexity and costs. Yep. So uh, that's why recently I've been um, thinking and uh, not only thinking about working on uh, um, uh, the unified commerce concept, which is not new. Uh, at least Gardens, I think, has already defined it years ago. Uh, but uh, looking to unified uh, commerce from composability perspective. So building a unified commerce solution already in a composable fashion um, in order to maybe take some decisions already and providing already some uh, core, uh, uh, core flows, core business process already implemented. And we didn't talk before. I forgot to mention that one of the key aspects is also personalization. Yeah. Uh, personalization not only on the products or next Dex offers, but personalization of both product and um, and the experience. So you need to do those both. You need to personalize not only offerings. So I'm choosing uh, the product that is more suitable for you. Maybe yep. uh, think about a, a financial institute. Have many uh, uh, policies, for example, and many uh, products, financial products that can that can sell, and it's really relevant to choose the one that are relevant for for them or for injury or whatever. This is one aspect, but the other aspect is also the experience. For example, I can, while I'm I am proposing this uh, product to you, I'm also choosing the best. Uh, digital experience, yep. which could be even online, but would be also offline experience. Yep. I can engage you in multiple channels, and I think this is also what uh, where where a unified commerce approach could uh, really uh, be a very big benefit. Mm -hmm. You can engage, you can have a a solution in which uh, allow me to say that you move a little bit. From omnichannelness, as we can understand, as you, we understand it usually in a form of channelless uh, interaction in which uh, you interact with the system from more from a personal perspective. So you have maybe uh, all omnichannel services that are published as APIs, and then you can consume those uh, services uh, from different uh, personas. Personas could be customer, could be a customer service agent, could be a sales agent, could could be devices, could be marketplaces. Again, uh, but you have a unified uh, uh, experience, right? So you have consistent uh, business uh, processes. 
Could not agree more. It's all about consistency, I guess. So thank you so much uh, for this episode. I guess that's it for today. Uh, do you have any last-minute closing advice for our listeners by any chance? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that is, nowadays it's difficult to navigate to all these uh, um, different nuances because, again, we are um, it's a sort of paradox, which apparently we have a lot of information, but at the end of the day, we are, there is diffi- very, it is difficult to understand the, 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 the noise, to, to separate noise from signal, right? So I would, my recommendation would be uh, seek for um, uh, for um, uh, expertise for maybe uh, from who have already done it, yeah. uh, have worked, have experience on the market, and uh, hear and have some guidance because it is really uh, difficult to navigate all these uh, sometimes even bad words that we hear, right? A monolith is bad and that down is good. That's that's not true. That's not true. Either, uh, each context has its uh, own solution and it's perfectly fine, be it monolith or not, or uh, composable through package business capabilities, through Mac or microservices, whatever could be custom. So stick for, uh, I think, for guidance and for expertise. That would be my uh, recommendation. Could not agree more. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be: it doesn't matter what you, whether you are going to call it solution architecture, enterprise architecture, or a strategic architecture, but make sure you have some form of architecture because that's must-have. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Totally agree. Of course. So thank you so much once again. This has been a powerful episode. Thanks to you, Sam. It was a pleasure to to, to have the opportunity to talk with you. Um, uh, really interesting also for me. Thank you so much. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you'd like to learn more about Indrit, connect with and follow him on LinkedIn. His LinkedIn handle is Indrit Salimi. It's I-N-D-R-I-T-S-E-L-I-M-I. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode. Of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at WBS.rocks. We'll see you next time.